Hello and welcome to Digital Works Oral History Podcasts. This series is called Sherbet Dab, an oral history of the London cabbie. The project was run by arts and education charity Digital Works, working closely with the team at the London Transport Museum and Unite the Union. Year 6 children from St George the Martyr and Westminster Cathedral Primary Schools learnt about the history of the iconic London taxi before going to conduct oral history interviews with the cabbies about their working lives. Episode 1 explores the reasons cabbies became cabbies, the intense training they all needed to undertake called the knowledge and the nerve-wracking oral exam system called appearances. We hope you enjoy it. Every cab driver that you're going to speak to, that you're going to meet, has gone through the same system. They've all gone through the knowledge of London. They've all gone through that, that process. They've all gone through those interviews. They've all gone through the callovers. They've all gone through winters on their motorbikes, not knowing if they're ever going to get warm again. We're all cab drivers at the end of the day. We've all achieved this green badge. We have that qualification. That's why, you know, we are in that unique group of 24,000. Um, one of the runs, yeah. Manor House to Gibson Square. Um, leaving on the right Green Lanes, right Brownswood Road. Left Blackstock Road, forward Highbury Park, forward Highbury Grove, right St Paul's Road, comply Highbury Corner, lead by Upper Street, right Islington Park Street, left College Cross, um, forward Milner Square, forward Gibson Square, set down. Yeah, well, one day my, my, my brother turned up with an old uh, uh, decommissioned London cab and he was going to drive it through Spain. And I said, wow, I said, I'd love to sit in that. And I sat in that and he said to me, imagine the history, imagine who sat in this cab. He said, imagine how much money has been passed through that window. And, I, and that was it. And I can remember, I'd just got, <laughs> I just got home from work and I was sitting there in my suit, shirt and tie. And I thought, wow, this is it. I knew from that day on, I was going to be a London black cab driver. I left school. I was apprenticed as a lady's hairdresser. To be a lady's hairdresser, you've got to be very artistic. I'm not. I hated it. I went to work in an engineering company. I found out one thing. I don't like getting my hands dirty. I had no idea what to do. And so I said, when I came out of the National Service, my father said to me, you might as well go on the knowledge. And that's what I did. Never looked back. And after I came out of National Service, I was a bit of a rascal and going out drinking and things like that and getting in a lot of trouble. So my dear wife said to me, why don't you be like your friends and sign on to do the knowledge? I met a couple of ex-servicemen, ex-RAF actually, West Indians, who were on the knowledge, or they were just finishing, and they talked me into being the knowledge. I wasn't interested at, at first but when I went to their homes, they were playing cards and I saw a lot of money on the table. And I thought, well, well, I want some of that. 
Well, I think as most London traditional families, there's always cab drivers within your family. So it was um, a job that I knew about and I had a couple of uncles who were cab drivers. My fiancé's father at the time was a taxi driver and his entire family were a taxi driver. So I didn't want to do this, but my father-in-law persuaded me that if there were any problems with the economy, if things went bad, jewellers would be one of the first people out of work. So as a backup, I did a suburban cab driver's badge, a yellow badge for Ilford. When we had a very bad winter, and I was a bricklayer at the time, uh, we got frozen off at work over the Christmas period, and I had two children, so I had no income. So I had to find a job where I could work, whether it was cold or whether it was hot. And a friend of mine who was a taxi driver said, why don't I do that? So that's why I did the knowledge. I was um, uh, married for 20 years and I decided to get a divorce and I was now bringing up my children on my own so I thought it would be a really good job to do where I could work for myself and be around for my children. And then I said, you know what, I want to do the knowledge. I want to study the knowledge of London. And then I approached my brothers, oh dear, and I told them what I wanted to do and they were like, no, you need to find an office job. No, it's, it's not safe for you out there. And they were like, they just freaked out. And I was like, oh my gosh. It's like, no, no, you need to find a desk job. And I was like, no, I'm going to do the knowledge. And I can remember saying to this cab driver, oh, you know, what do you do to become a black cab driver? He said, you've got to do the knowledge. And I said, oh, really? He said, I said, I said, where do I do that? He said, from a place in Penton Street. I said, where's Penton Street? He said, you just started the knowledge. Tell us about your experience doing the knowledge. Well, you have to memorise approximately 25,000 streets and even more places of interest along the street, such as shops, restaurants, hotels, pubs, police stations, hospitals, railway stations, even statues. Uh, it was every single day except for Christmas Day. I was, I was either out on the bike or I was going to a knowledge school twice a week or I was calling over with family and friends. So for two years it totally took over my life. You live, breathe, eat, drink, knowledge. Everything is knowledge. You have to go out on a moped with a little clipboard at the front of the, of the bike with the runs on and follow a set route. It's long, it's hard, and you have to go out in all weathers. And um, you think you know London, but there's loads of parts of it that you've never really been to. The property brain called the hippocampus, it deals with navigation and memory. And they think if you do the knowledge and become a cab driver, it's like a muscle, you exercise, it becomes slightly bigger. I mean, when, I, when I was on the knowledge, not far from me, you've got Queen Square, you've got the, the Institute of Neurology, which deals with brains. I took part in a uh, study there and my brain did grow slightly. And I had to have a brain scan before and after. I've got an image of it if you want to see it, of my brain. My mother didn't want me to go on a bike in the streets of London in case I had an accident. So she didn't want me to be a London cab driver. So what I had to do for the first year, I had to do it secretly without her knowing. And that wasn't easy. So I still had to pay her some money for my keep. And I was still doing ladies' hairdressing. And then I went on the bike 
and I went round like everybody else, but obviously it took me a bit longer. In those days, the knowledge took the average of a year, 18 months. I took two and a half years because I was doing it how I had to do it. Uh, the knowledge itself was, it was very, very much great fun. You used to ride around on your scooter with all the other knowledge boys and yeah, they were, they were good times. You had a lot of fun. I was a single man. I wasn't married. I had no children. I had no financial commitments. And that's very important because I was able to do the knowledge under my own steam. You know, the easiest way is to join up to what was called a knowledge school, where you meet two or three times a week, or every, every day if you wish to, um, and you were kind of meeting other chaps and ladies that were on the Knowledge of London, and you could kind of all bounce off of each other um, with your different runs and your different um, points that you were asked when you had your appearances. We had the big maps, you had to, what we call cotton the run, meaning that say for example, there was George Street over there, and say for instance, there was Curzon Street over there, and you didn't know how to get from there to there. So what we had to do, we get a bit of cotton, we put the cotton across, and then every road that was in that road, we wrote down. And that's what you call a run. They will give you what you call a callover partner, which is someone that's on the knowledge, just like you. You sit down with a big board in front of you with the map of London, and yourself and your partner, you'd call over. You're going through your knowledge, you're going over the old runs and your wife will hold a paper and say, right, take me from Paddington Station to Liverpool Street Station and, and she's got it all written down so she knows if I make a mistake, oh no, no, it's not left, it's forward or, or turn right or comply with the, with the roundabout or whatever. I loved it, absolutely loved it, couldn't get enough of it. I love the architecture, I love the history of London. I absolutely immersed myself in it. It took me four and a half years, and it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done. I did an English degree before that, because I, as I said, I was trying to be a teacher before that I, I did English at university. And the knowledge was a lot harder. I did lost all my hair from pulling it out. It gave me many headaches. I used to say to my mum, don't tell Julian and Errol. But I can't do this. I didn't realise how hard it was. And she was like, no. She's like, no, you're going to stick with it. The same way I helped you two brothers, I'm going to help you as well. And she'd say, like, and then she'd say to me, so where's your runs? Where have you been today? OK, sit down, come on, let's call the runs. And there we would go. Because my mum did it with my other two brothers. I, I would honestly say that my mum knows London more than all three of us put together because she literally took us through the knowledge. It's the hardest that I'd ever studied and you have to, you know, put in a lot of hours. And I used to do, I don't know how many hours a week, 40, 50, 60 hours of study a week um, while I was doing the knowledge. About 70% actually fail, they give up because it's a, it's a marathon, if you like, rather than a sprint. Most knowledge boys at that back then would say the things that happen most often would be older cab drivers pulling up to you, next to you, telling you the game's dead. And the game is, the game is 
driving a taxi. And why are you wasting your time doing it? Because it's not any good anymore. And they were like self-protecting their industry. They didn't want too many people in it. Leave by Hammersmith Bridge Road, left into Hammersmith Broadway, right into, into Queen Caroline Street, forward into Hammersmith Road, forward Addison Bridge, forward Kensington High Street, left into Phillimore Gardens, right into Phillimore Walk, left into Camden Hill Road, right into Sheffield Terrace, left into Kensington Church Street, right into Notting Hill Gate, forward into Bayswater Road, forward Lancaster Gate, forward through Marble Arch, forward Oxford Street, left into Burner Street, set down on the right. I had to undergo 27, they're called appearances, but it's a verbal exam. So you go into an office and it's a bit like if you're in front of the headmaster, there's a desk and the examiner's sitting there, you're there in a chair and he asks you questions, you must tell him every street, every turn. Initially, every 28 days, once I'd applied for the knowledge, I'd go up to the public carriage office, which was at 15 Penton Street, and I'd have my test. Never slept the day before an appearance. I tried to, but you just lie in bed awake at night, just trying to remember every street in London and every building. In those days, in what, 1962, the, the old Lambeth carriage office in, in Lambeth Road, they, they'd been training cab drivers for years and years, and they never had, and never had a booking service. So whereas you had a, an appointment, they never had an appointment. And you had to go there about half past seven of a winter's morning, freezing cold, and queue up outside. And then we gradually went in one at a time. And then halfway, halfway through the afternoon, the boys used to come down the stairs. Right, that's your lot for today. Go home and sign in if you can come tomorrow. It was a, it was a very intimidating atmosphere. So to give you an idea, in the, in the waiting room, you may have blokes and they're six foot, six foot tall, they've got noses like that and ears like that, and they're sitting there and they're shaking. And, I, and I'm shaking with them, and, and everyone, it's like the whole room is just shaking, and all of a sudden, the examiner will come through, he shouts your name, and he'll, and he'll go really quickly into his office, because it's all part of, of, the, of the game, I suppose. So you don't, you know, you hear, hear your name, Mr Freeman, you jump straight up, you're straight down the corridor, and you're trying to look to see where the examiner has disappeared into and my mind would go completely blank through sheer nervousness. I would just literally crumble. And it wasn't that I didn't know it. I was just so nervous. I used to take rescue. I used to take calms. <laughs> I took everything. You'd have some examiners that were really hard and others were, they were all hard, but others were a bit kinder. And so you'd be sitting for 10 minutes in fear, please don't let me have, please don't let me have, and then they'd come out and call your name and think, oh my God, I've got him, I've got him. <laughs> and there's a table, the examiner would sit there, and you would sit here. And you had to learn, good morning, ma'am, good morning, sir. Don't forget to do that, because it will be a D on your card. If you don't come appropriately dressed in a suit, Another D on your card. That's how strict they were. Somebody slots right into it, so they'd say, I don't know, where's Wicked playing at the moment? 
I think Apollo Victoria. So right, go from there to take me to Victoria Station, and I want this certain entrance. So say leave on Wilton Road, and they'd ask you four or five questions like that, and then at the end of it, you get a score. You get an A, B, C, or a D. So an A is six points, B is four points, C is three points, and a D is nothing. But to go to the next stage, you have to get twelve points. And then they'd ask you a question, and either you'd know it or you wouldn't. And then you'd have to work out, like you've got the map behind me on London. I, I, I had to have that in my head. I had to have an imaginary map in front of me. And I had to work out where the two places were that the, that the examiner had asked me. Straight line between the two points. And then you'd have to tell the examiner every street and every turning that you're taking, and every major intersection that you were crossing. And they would never tell you if you were right or you were wrong. They would just ask you another question. And then at the end of it, they'd say, thank you very much, next appearance in 28 days, 21 days, whatever it was. He asked me questions, and I couldn't answer them. I couldn't answer one of them. And in the end, out of sheer desperation on his part, he asked me the street that I lived in <laughs> to... Uh, to a destination that I travelled every day in my life, going back from divorce to school when I was a little boy, and I managed to get one rung correct. And I, I stumbled over that as well, even though I'd been doing it for years and years and years. It was as nerve-wracking nerve as that. OK, Mr Pierce, um, are you ready? Yes. OK, so just explain to me a bit about what stage you're at. I don't want a full life story, but... No, full life story is on... Uh... 2-2 on 28. 20, 2-2 on 28. So in theory we could be giving you your drop to uh, 21 today if you, if you do well. Okay, so you're on 6 points on 28, you need 12 points to get through. Let's see how you do. Westbridge Hotel. Uh, High Street, Stratford. Okay, and take me from there to McGettigan's Public House. Okay, so I... Uh, ready to call. I can leave the Westbridge on the left in High Street, Stratford, forward uh, Bowfire Roundabout, forward Bow Road, forward Mile End Road, forward Whitechapel Road, forward Whitechapel High Street, forward Walgate High Street, forward Walgate. Afraid, nervous, it'd be like going before the judge to see whether they're going to sentence you to prison. And Finlay, he was a Scotsman, he was the examiner. He sat behind the desk and I could hardly understand him because he said, oh, take me to the institute, to the library. We could hardly under, understand him. And he, was, uh, he frightened the hell out of all the knowledge boys. And he said, right, he said, take me from the St. Stephen's Club to St. Stephen's Gardens. And I knew where St. Stephen's Gardens was, but I couldn't remember where St. Stephen's Club was. And he went, what? You don't know where St. Stephen, the St. Stephen's Club is? And he stood up and he slammed it with the file on the desk. He said, you'll never make a cab driver. He said, you're useless. Why are you wasting my time? Why are you wasting everybody else's time? And he sat down and looked at me. And he went, OK, Mr. Barry, come 28 days. And that was it. He was waiting for my reaction. <laughs> OK. But it was funny, yeah, they, they tested your temperament as well as your ability to know where you were going. They tested my temperament, they made me feel angry sometimes. 
Sometimes they made me feel a million dollars. Um, it was a bit, a bit tormenting at times. But I realised the reasons that they were doing it is because ultimately members of the public I would pick up in my line of work or driving the taxi would be just the same. They would try and torment me and be rude to me and some would be lovely. The examiners in those days, they were all ex-policemen and they didn't particularly like cab drivers and they used to, an expression, wind you up, try and make you lose your temper. So if you... If you, if you answered them back and said, who, who are you talking to? Then they'd throw you off the course and say, you're not a fit and, per, fit and proper person to drive a London taxi. And Mr Finlay, I remember, sat there with two pencils up his nose at one, one of the examinations. Another thing, he would throw things out the window, bits of chalk or, or something. Or he would do funny things, just uh, which it would become... Um, it could become quite a, a game in the end. When you got your rec, which is the term that you finished the blue book and they're satisfied you know London and you do the, the suburbs. The suburbs means, oh, well out, over the bridge, South London, well North London. But you didn't have to write, know all the little streets. All you had to do is how to get from here to, say, Clapham or Balham the main road, that's all. And oddly enough, the last thing you do is the driving test. And it's, you, get four t you get four attempts at the driving test. And if you don't pass in the fourth attempt, you've wasted your time doing the knowledge. You don't get another go. And I got my badge and I was the king. I could have, I could have got into the ring with the, with the heavyweight champion of the world and beaten them. I could, have, I could have taken on anybody. I was, it's the best feeling in the world. Oh, wow, you, you walk on air. You walk on air and you, you feel like running up to strangers and saying, look, I got my badge, I'm through. I got my badge, I got my badge. Yeah, amazing. It was one of those days I've never forgotten. It was like, there was tears in my eyes. But when I got my badge, I was 39. And for a 39 year old woman to have tears in her eyes over something, to do with an exam was most bizarre, but I had tears in my eyes, yeah. Remember, I come from another country, and then to achieve the knowledge like everybody else, I think is a massive achievement for me. It's also tinged with a bit of sadness because part of doing the knowledge is the camaraderie with, your, with the, the knowledge boys and, and girls that are doing it with you. And after you've done the knowledge, you, you tend to sort of drift away. A lot of people they don't realise on the knowledge it's your family and friends support you as well. And I was so proud to do it for them because they were happy for me as well and I could, they could finally relax as well because they go through the same stresses that we do. So, yeah, it's the proudest day of my life. And I got my badge. I got my badge. And I think most of the examiners were there that day because, you know, they, they wanted to see me get that badge. Because, you know, it took me five years. I, I don't think I really could think straight for a whole week because then I was terrified that I had to go and get in a cab and start working. <laughs> Please join us for episode 2, which explores the cabbie's first days at work, learning the tricks of the trade and looks at the ups and downs of the relationships between cabbies themselves. The Sherbet Dab project was developed and run by Digital Works, with thanks to the children and staff at St George's the Master and Westminster Cathedral Primary Schools, the London Transport Museum, Knowledge Point, 
Unite the Union, Alf Townsend and all of the interviewees. Music was by Vincent Burke. This project was funded by the Lottery Heritage Fund and Unite the Union. To listen to the full interviews or watch the documentary film made as part of this project, visit www.sherbetdab.org.uk. To find out more about Digital Works' many oral history projects and to see other documentary films made about London's history, please visit www.digital-works.co.uk. Thanks for listening. Thank you.